blogging was an easy way to dip my toe in the water, start putting content out, getting feedback from people. And I feel like it was sort of like a lucky happenstance that I had all of this content before I really kind of came out with the intention of writing the book. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. Could writing a book help you build your business if you're a coach? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. Many coaches that I've followed or talked to have books. They have a book because it's like a calling card that helps them build their business. In other words, they don't necessarily write a book because they want the book in itself to become something that helps them earn money. And they don't write a book because it's massive creative project like a novelist or somebody who's writing a thriller series. They write a book because it helps them get their message out into the world and because it'll potentially help them find more clients. Now, one of the most impactful career books that I've read is What Color Is Your Parachute by Richard Bolas. Richard sadly passed away in 2017, but this career book came out, I think it was in the late 1960s. And Richard updated the career book every year since he first published it. And the book contains fantastic advice for job seekers. And that's actually when I came across it. Basically, back in 2009, 2010, I was out of work after the recession and I spent quite some time firing off CVs into the ether and getting no response. So I was wondering what I was doing wrong. And I started Googling career books and I found this particular career book online. And basically in it, he explains how one of the biggest mistakes you can make is just sending off a CV and sending off your cover letter and expecting to get a response. You actually need to spend time building relationships with potential companies that you want to work for, with potential hiring managers, and just talking to people who work in those companies. So what I started to do based on advice for this particular career book is just email people that I knew and ask them if I could meet them for an informal chat, like a coffee or lunch. And I just asked them about what it was like to work in that company. And this actually helped me quite a lot because at the time I thought I wanted a job in public relations. So I emailed a guy I knew in public relations and he invited me into the office for coffee, which he didn't mind doing because I wasn't looking for a job, so he didn't have to make a hiring decision. And he explained to me what his day was like and he explained how much PR people typically get paid and who he works for. And then I explained some of the things that I wanted from a job. And I came away from the whole thing thinking that, you know what, I don't want a career in public relations after all. This type of work where you're promoting something for somebody else isn't really for me. And after that, I stopped applying for public relations companies. And it's probably something I should have done sooner because I would have saved myself a year of headache sending out CVs and cover letters to companies. Now, Richard updated his particular book every year with new advice about whatever was happening in the jobs market. And Richard, like many career coaches and coaches, rely on a book as a type of calling card. I recently had the chance to talk to Terry McDougall. She's an executive and career coach and the author of the new book, Winning at the Game of Work. And I wanted to talk to Terry because she has a fascinating idea about how she sees work as a type of game, which I'd encourage you to to hang on for. Terry also considers this book as part of her calling card and she has some fantastic insights into how the book is potentially helping her find more clients for her coaching practice. So if you have an interesting work story and you want to go out on your own, you know, as a consultant or a type of coach, then perhaps writing a nonfiction book is a way that will help you grow your business or your practice. Now, if you do find today's show helpful, please consider leaving a short review on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast or Spotify or wherever you're listening or hit the share button. And if you really like the show for just a couple of dollars a month, you can become a Patreon supporter using the link in the show notes. I'll give you discounts on my writing software, courses and books. Now, with that said, let's go over to this week's interview with Terry. 
So Terry, I wanted to talk to you today for a couple of different reasons. You have a really interesting take on work, which I thought was fascinating because I think it applies to other areas of life too, which we'll get to in a moment. And I also want to talk to you about writing a career book. But before we get into any of that, could you give listeners a flavor for your background? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I've been an executive and career coach for about four years now. And before that, I was in the corporate world for 30 years and I worked in marketing that entire time. The last 21 years, I was in financial services. And then at my last job, I was there for 12 years and I rose to lead marketing for several of the businesses that they had within this large bank. And, you know, so I I had a, a pretty long career. And over the course of that time, I, you know, made a lot of observations and my, I'm not going to say struggles, but my efforts <laughs> to rise within the organizations. And, you know, ultimately that led me to be, want to become a coach to help other people get past some of the obstacles that I sort of struggled over myself. Because I, I truly believe that, you know, there's a lot of great, smart, hardworking people out there that are pouring a lot more energy into trying to get ahead at work in many cases, sacrificing happiness. And I truly believe that if we look at things differently and we and quote unquote play the game a little bit differently, that we can get uh, better results without so much stress and anxiety and unhappiness, which uh, I saw a lot of whenever I was in the corporate world. Yeah, yeah, work, work, is, work can certainly be stressful, especially over the past uh, 12, 18 months. I, I was working full time for a software company, but I'm, I took a career break. So uh, well, I'm curious, one of the key ideas in your book is that uh, work is like a game. Could you elaborate on that? Because I, I think that's a fantastic metaphor that applies to lots of areas of life. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was a good student in school and I wanted to be successful in the corporate world. And I came into the workplace just thinking that if I just do the same things that I did at school, then I'm going to have the same levels of success in the workplace. And, you know, a lot of the lessons that we learn in school are, you know, keep your head down, raise your hand, wait to be called on, wait your turn, you know, just be a good kid and you're going to move to the next grade next year, right? Yeah. And Or the next promotion. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is not how it works in the corporate world. And in fact, there's a lot of things that are, are counterintuitive. And I was very confused for a long time. I just to give you a little bit of my background, my dad worked for the phone company. He was a blue collar guy. My parents didn't go to college. I was the first person in my family to go to college. So, you know, working in a corporate environment was not anything that I had any exposure to. And I didn't have anybody in my family to guide me or tell me this is how it works. But I was very keen to find out. And as as time went on, you know, especially in those early years of my career, I was looking around and I did not understand what was going on around me. I mean, it really was like I was playing a game. I didn't know I was playing a game, but I also did not know the rules of the game. And, you know, I I learned those a lot of times the hard way. And then I was lucky along the way to have a couple of really good mentors who took me under their wing and kind of pulled back the curtain of what was going on and said, started pointing out, this is what's really going on here. And once you get that, sense of what's going on, you know, you can step back and you can kind of see the whole playing field. It totally changes things. It gives you a lot more understanding of how you can navigate within that environment and not just, you know, be beat up or feel like, you know, you're playing American football without the pads on. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting you said about raising your hand until somebody calls you. Uh, a couple of years ago, well, a long time ago now, I was working in a radio station as a researcher and I, I just wait my turn till the producer called on me to, to suggest story ideas. And he took me aside one day and he said, stop waiting until you're called. You need to to like just speak up when you have an idea. Yeah, that was one of my first lessons in, in the workplace. Could you maybe describe some of the, the strategies that you, you came across that would help people succeed, I suppose, at the game of work? you know, I tell a number of stories in the book and some of them are the people that, you know, are heads down that don't want to like maybe go out for happy hour with their colleagues after work. They're like, nope, I'm just going to stay here and finish this report. And, you know, I don't think that work and social life should uh, overlap at all. And one of the things that I have recognized, and I don't think I really understood this on the right level early in my career was that People are the only things that make things happen in the corporate world. And having and maintaining good relationships and good networks with people, you know, that's sort of your currency of how you're going to be able to move ahead. And it could be that, you know, you're nice to somebody's administrative assistant and they give you a heads up about something. Or the person in IT when you have a broken computer. Exactly. Exactly. If, you know, if you're nice to the guy that comes and fixes your computer and then he's probably going to put you at the top of the list versus somebody who yells at him. But I think that people a lot of times ignore the fact that having strong relationships are important. Another thing that I've seen is that people think that if they want to move up, that the only way to move up is just straight up the ladder. And quite often what works better is that you maybe you've heard of people talking about you know, moving up in the organization, it's more like a jungle gym than a ladder, that maybe making a lateral move or going into a different business or even leaving your company altogether is going to get you to that where you want to go faster than just, you know, like we were saying, sitting there, you know, being a good corporate citizen and waiting for your turn. Yeah, There's plenty of really smart, hardworking people that are not moving along at the pace that they possibly could because they literally are not playing by rules that would get them ahead more quickly. In your book, you talk about how goals, strategies, objectives, and results can help people advance in work and outside of work. Had you documented those kind of lessons and stories while you were at your last day job, or did you start reflecting on your career to date once you'd left? Well, I definitely, once I started understanding the rules, I put it into motion. And I would say that, you know, I mentioned that at my last company, I was there for 12 years and I was recruited from another bank to come in and lead U.S. marketing for the investment bank. And I would say that that was almost like a master's level course in how to navigate, how to play, you know, positive corporate politics, because it was a very demanding business to work within. And, you know, investment bankers are really, really smart people. They are traveling all the time. They're interacting with CEOs. And, you know, to put it bluntly, they don't suffer fools. And so I really had to stay on my toes. And, you know, I I took a few punches, (laughs) you know, uh, figuratively. And once you do, you start to, to learn how to bob and weave and how to play the game to influence and to maintain positive relationships. You know, I used to say to my team, like, 
play a good game of offense, meaning like do your job, do your job very well, but also play a good game of defense, meaning like look around you and understand the environment in which you are operating because you could be doing a fantastic job and literally get blindsided by something because you didn't realize that maybe somebody you're working with is you haven't gotten back to them. And so they've complained to your boss's boss's boss. And all of a sudden, like something blows up that you really could have controlled had you just understood what was going on around you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I was reading an interview where you said that one of your most influential books was uh, What Color Is Your Parachute? Yeah. Uh, And that book actually helped me about 10 years ago when I was out of work as well. So uh, yeah, fantastic. Did you have that book in mind when you were writing your book? You know, I feel like that book laid the foundation for how I look at careers. Because honestly, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I worked in restaurants, ice cream stores, you know, like I was just doing whatever I could to make the most money when I was, you know, growing up. And had I not gotten the advice from my my boyfriend's mom who gave me that book and she said, do not start looking for your post-college job until you've read this book and done the exercises, I never really would have been introspective and looked at myself and said, what are my strengths? What do I like to do? And use that as sort of the compass to point me in the right direction towards a career that would be satisfying. So I, I wouldn't say... Well, actually, I should say this because I actually interviewed uh, Richard Bowles' son, Gary. Uh, Richard Bowles passed away, um, I think, in 2017, and he was in his 90s. And he released that book every year. (laughs) Every single year from like 1970. And I continue to to recommend that to people that are looking for, for jobs. But Gary Bowles is his son, and he has continued the good work. He's a career counselor, and he's a, a writer and a speaker on career topics and I interviewed him for for my book so I guess you would say that you know it all came full circle yeah fantastic I like that a lot did it take you long then to write your book when you had you know more free time well I I actually blogged for a couple years on career topics and a lot of that was me sort of processing thoughts that I had kind of thinking back over lessons and somebody along the way said well how many words do you have (laughs) because I blogged for like two years that prompted me to download everything. And I had like 25,000 words, which was definitely, you know, strong foundation for the beginning of a book. And I started, I mean, so I started with a lot of content. I had to do a lot of massaging and editing and so forth, but I started it in July of 2019. And then the book came out in April of 2020. So, you know, I did a lot of additional writing, but, you know, it was less than a year from, I had a lot of content, but it was less uh, than a year from when I started to when it was published. Yeah, what would the blog to book strategy is a fantastic one for nonfiction writers and authors. Would you have any tips for anybody who's considering doing that? Anything that you do differently looking back? No, I mean, I, you know, this happened kind of organically for me. I didn't, I mean, I suppose as a marketer, I always did a lot of writing. So I'm comfortable writing and in the back of my head, I thought, well, yeah, maybe someday I'll write a book. I wasn't sure what the topic would be or anything, but I would say that blogging was an easy way to dip my toe in the water, start putting content out, getting feedback from people. And I feel like it was sort of like a lucky happenstance that I had all of this content before I really kind of came out with the intention of writing the book because for a lot of people, I've, I've actually referred many people to the program that I went through. And a lot of them asked me lots of questions like, oh, you know, were you nervous? Because some people start with nothing, 
right? At what least what, was, what was the something. program? It's called Creators Institute, and it was started by a professor named Eric Kester. And okay. he's, he developed this at Georgetown University for undergrads. And then it was, you know, he had so many students who published that he opened it up to people outside of the university setting. Okay. What, what does the program teach? I have, I'm not familiar with it. Well, he spends 12 weeks, you know, it was like Zoom virtual teaching techniques for writing. And, and really, a lot of it was even mindset around, you know, like one of the first assignments in the class was to go out to LinkedIn and put author and the working title of the book. Because he's like, okay, even if you haven't written one word, but you have this intention, you're an yeah. author. So start stepping into that. And, and I loved that, right? Because it did get me into that mindset. And then one of the other lessons was when people ask you what your book's about, what you're going to tell them, it's about the intersection of X and Y. And that really helped me sort of start thinking about this is the environment. And my book is about the intersection of professional success and personal happiness. Okay. Right? So it just, I like that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did it take you long to come up with that intersection? Uh, no. And, and I think that this was one of the tremendous benefits of having blogged for that time is that I, this was coming from my heart. Yeah. It wasn't an intellectual exercise. This was flowing from me because of my experience and really me wanting to help other people be happier and more successful at work. And, you know, cause I see a lot of people, especially in my coaching business, I see a lot of people when they come to me, they're really smart, really hardworking, have had success. And, you know, a lot of times when they seek out coaches, it's that, you know, they are kind of suffering or they're feeling in pain or stress or, or burnout because they've hit a wall or an obstacle that they don't know how to get past. And when that happens, there's a lot of self-judgment. There's a lot of doubts that creep in about like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And, you know, so I really try to help shift people. And, and part of this is, you know, like I mentioned before, stepping back and seeing the whole playing field. Yeah you know, not being in the middle of the scrum and so close to what's going on that, you know, you don't see your own value in the whole environment of work. Those fears you mentioned are all fears that new authors go through as well. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah, my gosh. Like the whole writer's block, yeah. boy, that is a real thing. And yeah. I, I definitely had times where I was just almost, you know, fearful and paralyzed worried that, okay, I'm going to put all this time in and it's going to suck. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, everybody, yeah, a lot of authors think yeah. that at the start, at the start yeah. of their, their book. I mean, obviously you got around writer's block because you, you have a book and you, you blogged pretty consistently. What did your writing process look like on a normal day? I wrote much the way I do everything else, which is in fits and starts. So there were days that I was, you know, sitting for 18 hours writing and editing. There were weeks when I was completely avoiding, <laughs> you know, I would force myself to look at something and edit, but I was kind of avoiding because, you know, I was having those like fears, but yeah, I, I tend to like write in chunks. Okay. And the fact that you've been blogging and publishing it on your site, you also have a lot of media appearances as well. Did you write articles for other people's sites as well to promote your book or to promote your writing or ideas? I'm trying to think like what I did before. I think when I was writing the book, I was on, I was on a couple of podcasts after the book came out. I mean, unfortunately the timing was bad, right? Because it was April of 2020 when the book came out. So I wasn't able to do any in-person promotions. I wanted to do like yeah. a book, book launch party and signings and all that. So that led me to respond to a lot of requests on a platform called help a reporter out where, you know, reporters put 
their requests for experts in particular areas. And I responded to a lot of those requests. And that's where I initially got a lot of a lot of quotes. Yeah, you have some pretty high profile mentions on your site. Psychology Today was one that stood out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, the Chicago Tribune, I most of the time the reporters will let you know when they quoted you. That was one that they did not let me know. And somebody else said, oh, I saw I saw your name in the Chicago Tribune. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nice surprise. So if I had a nonfiction book and I wanted to use Help a Reporter Out, which actually I, I do want to start using it again, wh- mm-hmm. what tips would you offer for responding to a journalist? Well, the one thing that I would say is that it's very, very time consuming. But I had sort of a, a bit of a boilerplate, you know, Like I would start off with my credentials of who I am and why I'm qualified to speak on that topic. And then, you know, the requests are all very different, but I try to, you know, be specific and maybe even provide some some quotes that they could just pick up and use because most of the time they do not want to spend the time to interview you. I I probably had maybe two or three interviews out of the 60 or 70 times that I was quoted, most of the time they just want to like cut and paste stuff that you wrote. So, you know, recognize that and write in full sentences, you know, think about the timeliness or realize that, you know, this is news, right? So they're looking for ways to connect whatever you say to something that's timely. So I think positioning is really important. So you checking, help a reporter out, sends out an email every day, depending on your interests. Were you checking that every day and setting aside half an hour to respond? Yeah. Well, they send it out three times a day, Monday through Friday. Yeah. It's very time consuming. I actually have shifted away from responding to those now. And I actually am spending most of my time on podcasts. I have my own podcast now. and Marketing Mambo. Yeah. Great name. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So let's go back to your book then. So you have the book ready. Did you go through much of an editing process? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty um, rigorous editing process. It was, I think, I guess, ready manuscript. It wasn't final, final, but that was probably, I don't know, five months after I started writing. That's when the manuscript needed to like start going into the editing phase. And I still had some writing to do, but for the most part, the framework of the book was there. Most of the content was in the book where it needed to, to be. And, you know, through the book writing program, I was given an editor that, that helped me to, you know, organize it and edit it. You know, one of the tips that I used and I, I would share with anybody is that when you're writing a book, you've written it, you've read it countless times, and you start to go blind to what's on the page. So I actually, I had my computer read me the content back. And I found that I could hear the parts that didn't read well. I could hear missing words or typos or whatever better than I could see them because I literally had become blind to the content. And also I speeded it up. You know, I would speed it up and have it read back to me at like twice the normal rate. And because I was so familiar with it, I understood what it was saying because it was my content. But if, it's, if something sounded weird, I would just stop it. And then I would go back and read it very carefully and be like, oh, yeah, there's a missing word. Or maybe I need to switch the order of the sentence or something like that. That helped a lot. Yeah. yeah one strategy I've used is changing the font on, on printing it mm-hmm. out and also reading it aloud. Uh, and depending on how much time you have, you can record yourself reading it aloud as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think just changing the, the format, because you're right, you do 
get blindness when you've been looking at your manuscript for quite a long for time. Sure. So your book is out and, you know, many people listening will probably say that does a coach need a book in the first place? How does a nonfiction book help somebody in your position build a business? I am a certified coach. I went and got trained and I've got a certification through the International Coach Federation. But there are a lot of people out there that hang up a shingle that say, I'm a coach and they don't have any kind of training or credentials. And I feel like the book credentializes me a lot more. You know, I can point to that. I'm not only a coach, but I'm an author. Um, I also point, you know, clients to particular chapters within the book. One of the other things that I found to be very helpful with the book is that, you know, it's really my ambassador that is out there exposing my ideas to other people without me having to do anything else. You know, I put, I put that effort in, in, in 2019 and 2020, and now it's out there in the world. I I actually have used this analogy. I've got three kids and the closest thing that I would compare it to is being a mother, right? Because you go through a lot of pain as you're gestating your your children, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and it's kind of painful process to go through. But once they're out, they're out, right? And they're out in the world running around on their own. And that's kind of the same thing with the book, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it does have a life of its own now. Yeah, it's a good metaphor. And I have three kids as well. And you do find that some... I wrote a book years ago and sometimes I get emails about it and like it's not something yeah. I've worked on in a long time. It's, it's always surprising that somebody is reading something that you, you might have worked on, you know, years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had actually had a client hire me recently and, you know, when I asked her, well, how did you find out about me? And she initially saw a post that I had put on LinkedIn, but that caused her to sort of research me. And then she found my book. She bought the book. She started reading it. And she said to me when she called me, um, I started reading the book and I felt like you were talking directly to me, yeah. you know, and so that's wonderful, right? That people can experience my voice and my thoughts and perspectives without me having, I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day, right? I can't talk to everybody individually. This is a great way to scale and and maybe help people that I never will meet, but, you know, they pick up the book someplace. The book can do something when you're not there. So I worked on a content marketing team. And one thing I found is that marketing yourself and marketing your own business is very different to marketing within a team within a larger company absolutely what changes or differences have you noticed well i mean for one thing i was a marketing director that had a team of people that reported to me and i was part of a much larger organization where there were a lot of shared resources you know graphic design analytics whatever that i could just go to so i could come up with the idea and delegate or go to specialists within the organization to get things done and as a solopreneur I'm delivering the service. I have to come up with the strategy. I have to, you know, develop the content. I don't have to, but I haven't yet, you know, found people that I, you know, feel like I can rely on to do that for me. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that it's like, it's very difficult to keep everything on your plate. I feel like as soon as I come up with a new idea, something else falls off, you know? It's a balancing act. And then I think the other thing is that, you know, when you're working for a company, it's not personal, right? You can be very strategic, you know, it's the company, people have probably heard of it, you know, it's it's your job. When you're doing it for yourself, it's you. Even yeah. though it's, I'm, you know, I'm running a business, the business is named after me, it feels very personal. And sometimes that's made me hesitate to do certain things from a marketing standpoint that I never would have hesitated to do 
you know, like just for example, how much did I email? Are some of my friends and and people that I know professionally on my email list, are they going to think I'm spamming them? Right. And when you're doing marketing for big companies, you never think twice about them. You're like, oh, who no. cares? Like, no. somebody, somebody <laughs> unsubscribes, you know, but it's like me and my picture out there. And so sometimes like just that personal sense of like rejection, even though that's not what it is, you know, that can sometimes stop you. Uh, you mentioned you're using Harrow or you are using Harrow and you have your podcast. Are there any other marketing strategies that are working quite well for your book or your coaching business? You know, before COVID, I was doing a lot of networking and I spoke as a former marketer. I was involved in the Chicago chapter of the American Marketing Association and I spoke at a couple of their events. And that's very helpful. I mean, again, that's something that helps credentialize. But also, you know, if you're speaking in front of a room of 100 people, you're speaking to a hundred people instead of having to have individual conversations. And, you know, I, I'm very pleased. I'm at a point in my business where I'm starting to get more and more referrals, you know, and it's, it's so interesting to ask people like, okay, well, how did you hear me? Oh, I met somebody at a lunch and they saw you speak or, you know, somebody, uh, actually I just had somebody who I had had a prospecting meeting with the wife two years ago and she actually decided to, quit her job rather than get coaching because it's not a good situation. And she just referred her husband to me two years later. Fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I love referral business and <laughs> that's the best. That's yeah. the best. So I don't know if I'm fully answering your question, but I think just, just being out there and being active and being authentic, you know, having yeah. good productive conversations with people and finding that those are the seeds that tend to have the most blossoms. So Terry, where can people find you or your book or listen to your podcast? Well, people can find me at my website, which is terrybmcdougall.com. If people are interested in Marketing Mambo, where I cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe, you can find that at on any of the podcast platforms. But if you want to get there directly and, and subscribe from the website, it's marketingmambo.net. And my book is available on Amazon Worldwide. And again, the name is uh, Winning the Game of Work. Thank you, Brian. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software and on my writing courses. Thank you.